It's good to see you here today. You ever watch a wrestling match? Any of you? I'm talking the real wrestling match now, not the TV junk. Like a high school one or a college wrestling match where uh, they're just exhausted by the time they get done with it. Have you ever noticed that? Um, and I, I never cared for wrestling all that much personally because it's way too intimate for me with another human being. But watching the sport's fascinating. And it's really fascinating when, when the two wrestlers are mismatched where one is definitely way better than the other one. And at the beginning of the match, maybe it was the goal of both of them to win, but as the match progresses, the one realizes this guy is way better than I am, and his goal becomes very different. Now he just doesn't want to get pinned. Amen? I just don't want to lose that way. Even though I might lose 13 to nothing, I just don't want to be pinned. And so um, sometimes you get in these matches, and they're just so uneven. This morning we're going to look at this Old Testament book called Habakkuk. Some people say Habakkuk. I grew up saying Habakkuk. I'm going to say Habakkuk. Otherwise, I'm going to go back and forth, all right? Follow what I'm saying? So if you like Habakkuk, good for you. If you like Habakkuk, good for you. We all know what we're talking about, right? So in this little short book um, in the Old Testament uh, series that we're doing here in the Minor Prophets, it's really about Habakkuk wrestling with God, wrestling with God over a couple of issues. And what we see is that he's hopelessly outmatched. When you wrestle with God, he's going to pin you. You will not win that match, amen? And we kind of see that transpire with this Old Testament prophet. Now, Habakkuk was a contemporary with Jeremiah the prophet, which means he ministered at the time when Judah was basically in her last days. And, and it was uh, uh, becoming apparent that she was going to be basically uh, no more. So he had the thrilling opportunity to say some of the last words to a nation that was going downhill fast. Can you imagine how discouraging and sad that must have been? Years ago, when we moved to Williston, North Dakota, we felt called up to Williston, North Dakota, uh, we went up there at a time of the bust. Up there is the oil field, and they have booms and busts, booms and busts, booms and busts. That's kind of how that uh, place is. And so when we were going up there, everybody was so discouraged and so down because the oil industry had basically just left that area. And we pull into a gas station with our little, R, not little RV, but big uh, moving van. And the gal asked me what we're doing. We said, we're moving to town. And before I could hardly say anything, she said, who would move to Williston and why would you do that? Like, oh, are you stupid or what? And I told her I was a pastor and she probably thought I really was stupid. But I don't know, at any rate, you know, and, and, and I got a little microorganism, a little bit of a, of a thought there of what Judah must have felt like. It must have been just a depressing uh, time uh, to be part of Judah. She's going downhill fast. And if you're a prophet like um, Habakkuk called to minister at that time, it must have been just very discouraging. In the midst of a painful situation like uh, Judah was going through, what usually happens? What happens with people, do you think? Don't they begin to complain? Begin to get really upset and angry? You know, one of the things I notice about uh, humanity is that when things go well, we take credit. When things go bad, we, we blame God. Right? Things go well, we tend to take credit. When things go bad, we tend to say, God, why aren't you doing the things I want you to do? And where are you? And all that kind of thing. And I imagine that was the case uh, in Habakkuk's day also. Um, so Habakkuk is a book about a prophet wrestling with God. Right? That's our introduction. It's not necessarily a, a letter addressed to Judah per se. It's really not a letter that he wrote addressed to Judah. It's more of an oracle between 
Habakkuk himself and the Lord God. But it's not private either. It's not meant to be a, a, a private thing. It's, it's a representative kind of exchange that took place between this very godly prophet uh, with, with the Lord, wondering why his people, who should know better and should be godly and should be doing the right things, why they were being so ungodly. That's how it all begins. He goes, what is going on here, God? Why are your people acting so ungodly? Uh, do you not see what's, what's, what's happening here? Are you not aware? And, and the prophet begins his, his oracle to God, basically wrestling with him uh, in, in this uh, regard. Um, when, when I use that term, wrestle, what do you think of? Have you ever wrestled with God yourself? Have you ever heard that terminology used, I'm wrestling with God? I've heard it frequently, especially in times gone by. Someone, when, when they're trying to figure out what's God's will for my life and all that kind of thing, they might call that wrestling with God. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do, and I'm wrestling. Um, other times I've heard it used when someone's disobedient, and uh, they don't want to do what God wants them to do, and they're wrestling with God. And uh, eventually, the testimony usually of such a one is, I finally gave in to God's will, and now my life is going really well. But I want to say something to you very clearly this morning. If you're wrestling with God, you're never going to win that match. Amen? So just give up. Let him pin you and do his will. Amen? Because that's what basically happens in the case of Habakkuk. He basically gets pinned by God and basically gives up and says, okay, God, you will be done. We'll get to that in a few moments. Um, but anyway, I just want you to kind of engage with me a little bit this morning. What I'm sharing with you today, I think it's extremely uh, important. Um, we all have moments of questioning. Habakkuk had moments of questioning. But a huge insight that we're going to learn from Habakkuk today is at some point, you've got to quit questioning God. you just got to quit. You've got to embrace God, and you've got to cling to God and completely trust him. Amen? Because you're not God. You don't have the perspective of God. You're not all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all that kind of thing. You don't have any of that. And at some point, you just got to say, God, you know better than me. I yield and give up, and I cling uh, to you. I love what Habakkuk's name means. It means one who embraces and clings. One who embraces God and clings to God. So I want to ask you another question to kind of get you kind of engaged with me this morning. Is there a situation in your life right now where you don't understand what God is doing, why he is doing it? You may not even understand what in the world is going on, but you need to cling and embrace God. You need to begin to really just do that instead of questioning God. You see, when we question God, we're saying, God, you're subservient to me. <laughs> you, you need to answer my questions as though we're in charge. It's okay to have some questions in your life, but eventually when it comes to the Lord God, you have to get to a place where you quit questioning him. And you learn to embrace him and cling to him and completely trust him. Now, I have to admit for me, this has been something that I've struggled with over different moments in my life, um, and I'm going to be super transparent with you this morning, I'm not looking for any help from anybody, all right? I'm just being honest with you today, and I think all of us need to begin to be honest before God and begin to, uh, you know, begin to be transparent and, and admit when we're struggling with some things, but in my life, I, I remember thinking multiple times, my, my mom and dad both died of cancer in their 70s, and so I, I, I don't like cancer, 
And, uh, and I thought, I'm going to try to do things and be healthy and try to make sure that I don't have that problem in my life. Amen? Any of you ever think that way? No? Just go ahead and eat bad then and get it. I don't care. Anyway, no, just... It, so, I never thought in my wildest dreams I would ever have any cardiovascular issues of all my life. Okay? I just never thought that would be a problem. And... Uh, a couple years ago, a few years ago, I ended up being diagnosed with some problems. Some of you know this. Had a couple stents put in. I still said, well, I don't have a problem. <laughs> Amen. We're good at doing that, aren't we? And so uh, then I found out from my sister that my mom had this problem. I didn't know that. You know, I never knew that she had six, six stents put in. You know, that, that's illuminating information. So then all... For, for the last couple years, I've been just not feeling right. People say, I bet you feel really good. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't feel really good yet. And they go, oh, well, what do you want me to do, lie? Tell me, okay, I feel really good. Does that make you feel better? You know, because I didn't feel really good. I felt weirdly not good. Tired all the time, some things going on, all right? And so about August, I start hearing some things in my left ear uh, my heartbeat, you're not supposed to hear that, you know, it's called pulsatile tinnitus. And um, I thought, oh, I wonder what this is. And I began to pursue that. And they said, oh, there's some blockage probably in your carotid artery. And I thought, oh, God, just heal me, just heal me. You ever pray like that? People say, are you praying for healing? Uh-huh. How about you? Don't you pray for healing? Uh-huh. Why wouldn't I do that? God, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, Right? I don't want to go through any of this. Just heal me. Be supernatural. Man, I'll give you the glory. <laughs> I'll praise your name. And um, it just kept kind of getting worse. And then we had some surgery here about four weeks ago. Some of you know about that. I've, met, I've talked about it. And it hurt. <laughs> Got done. I said, it's not pleasant. And I began to realize some things through this whole ordeal, you know, um, God sometimes wants to create in us a dependency that maybe we thought we had, but we don't really have. And he wants to maybe get us to realize our frailty and our utter dependence upon him. And it's not been a fun time for me, to be honest with you. And Vicky will attest that I'm not a very quiet complainer. And... Uh, Women are a lot better at that. Maybe because you have babies or something, you're tougher, I don't know. Something's different there. But at um, any rate, what I've been seeing is that God wants to create in us this dependency on him that uh, is there in spite of how we feel, amen? In spite of what we're going through. And I, I, the book of Habakkuk just resonates with my soul because you have to get to a point in your life where you quit questioning God and quit saying, I shouldn't be going through this. And God, I, I never smoke, I don't drink, I eat well, I exercise, I don't have any of the vitals that would be indicative of having any of this kind of issue. What in the world is going on, you know? And instead of having those kind of questions, you have to just say, God, I embrace you and I cling to you and I completely trust you in the middle of all this. And sometimes God, that's the greater work he wants to do in our lives. And so I imagine with a crowd this size that there are, are, are just a, a multiplicity of issues that you're all going through. 
Sometimes you have a child that's not real cooperative. <laughs> you know, you have these kids and they're the babies and they're so cute. And then you bring them home, right? In the hospital and pretty soon you realize, this little bugger is so demanding. They cry all the time. All they do is poop and eat. You know what I mean? And kind of like, oh my goodness, you know. And, 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 they, they, and then they don't grow up to be what you think they should be sometimes. And you just I call that kind of a death of a dream, which you shouldn't have anyway. Because your child is a child of God. But there's this kind of embracing and clinging to God in spite of how the kid is turning out. And you give them into God's hands, right? And maybe you have a marriage that's a little troubled. And you think if my mate would just get it figured out, we'd be good to go. Right? There's the problem. And God wants you to embrace him and cling to him and completely trust him in that thing. Or maybe you're going through some anxiety yourself or some career issues. Oh, man, school, schools can just can really rock your soul sometimes. See, when you're 20 years old, you're supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do the rest of your life. Huh, good luck with that. Most of us don't know what we're doing at my age, much less you poor people. And that's just one of those myths, you know. But at any rate, you, got, you just have to, you have to get to a point where you cling and embrace God and trust him no matter what. Amen? And that's to me, it's the main message of uh, Habakkuk. And I want you to have that as we talk on the rest of this book. Uh, because it begins, Habakkuk begins with what I call faith troubled. He just begin, my faith is troubled, basically. He's saying, God, uh, I think you should act a certain way. I think you should do certain things. And you're not doing those things. And he was really troubled. He ministered during the time of Jehoiakim, um, who was a really godless king in Judah. It was uh, basically God's last straw. And he, I'm sure he thought, uh, God, where are you? Why are you letting this ungodly king rule over us? Why are you people who should be godly and should know better? Why are they so ungodly? And it was very troubling in his faith. And, and listen to what he says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses two through four. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He just going, God, I don't get it. I don't get what's up here. I don't understand what, what's going on. And I'm going to complain to you about it. Amen? And, and I don't know if you've ever worked at a place like this I have where they have a suggestion box. <laughs> we affectionately called it our complaint box. But the suggestion box theory was that you would see something that you could do better at work and you put in there a little written description of the problem and the solution and that would help management make wise, informed, enlightened decisions. But I would just, they, they ended up being oftentimes a complaint box. And basically what, what, um, what Habakkuk does here is he complains a couple times to God. So I call this complaint number one. You ever done this with God? You ever complained about something in your life to God and said, this isn't fair, God? This isn't right, God? And you ever complained? Habakkuk had a complaint. I call it complaint number one. He dropped it into the suggestion box and wanted God to uh, address this complaint. And the complaint went something like this, the problem of ungodliness. Among those who are supposed to be godly, he says, I don't understand why the, the ones who should be godly are so ungodly, God. And then the apparent lack of a response from God, he goes, why aren't you doing anything? I don't see you doing anything at all. And, and we live in these kinds of days, don't we? If we're really honest where we sometimes say, why are the ones who should be godly so ungodly? Why are the ones who know better not doing better? (laughs) 
And why are the ones who call themselves Christians looking like the ones who don't call themselves Christians? Why is there so much immorality among God's people? When did we begin to think that that was okay? And why is there so much selfishness? You know, this, if this doesn't please me, I mean, I as a pastor, I understand this dynamic really well because I see it all the time. Well, you're not doing what I want to do, so I'm just going to go to a different church. That, my friends, is rank consumerism because our first question should be, God, what do you want me to do here and how do you want me to contribute? But oftentimes the first question that's asked is, what are you going to do for me and how are you going to make me feel good? It's so wrong in the question. <laughs> it's just such a wrong question. And then there's this materialism that's invaded the church as well as our world right now. And this, you know, all this kind of t- teaching sometimes that's prosperity motivated. There's so much anger, 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 anger. I've, people are so angry. Have you noticed that right now? People are just angry drivers, angry shoppers. Not everybody. I'm, I know I'm exaggerating, Okay. Because a lot of you are not angry at all. And a lot of people out there are very friendly. So I just want to make sure we have balance here. I see the church frequently fighting over methods and we don't understand the mission. The mission trumps everything. Amen? We're about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ exalted. We're about people encountering grace and growing grace and giving grace away. We're all about the mission. And then we should be secondly about missiology. We should be about reaching out and, and that should consume our, 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 you know, our, our view of, of, of our faith. It should be mission and missiology. But what do we fight about? Methods. How we do things. When we get to heaven, you know what? Jesus isn't going to say, well done, perfect method. He's going to say, well done, you're on mission. And he had a missiology mindset. Well done. He's not going to say to anybody, well, boy, woo, that was well, that was a good technology. You think he's going to say that? Well, that was really good music. Uh, he's not going to say that. Anyway, I've seen people who run into these kind of problems oftentimes respond wrongly. Isolation is one of the main Wrong approach is, oh, man, the body of Christ is so messed up. I'm just not going to be part of it. And I just say, oof, out of that. Because it's Jesus' idea, this thing called church. We've got to figure it out. Some want to confront every issue they see, and that doesn't work very well. Some just say, let's love one another into, the, into right behavior. That never works real well. So what do you do with this? I, I, I'm just throwing it out there for you to think on. I don't have an answer. It's a difficult situation. So after this complaint number one, God gives him an answer. And he answers uh, uh, in a way that Habakkuk never expected. He just didn't even, this didn't even occur to him. And and here's what he says to, to Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to see dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. The cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They will come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is their God. And so God basically says, here's my solution. I'm going to send the Babylonians <laughs> to discipline Judah. 
That was not the answer he thought he was going to get. And so know what happens next? Complaint number two. So if you want to divide the first couple chapters of the book of Habakkuk apart, you got complaint number one and complaint number two. And here's complaint number two. Listen to what Habakkuk says now when he finds out this is what the Lord's intention is to solve this problem of ungodliness among God's people. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then did you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Well, the wicked swell up those more righteous than themselves. You have made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest foods. Is he to keep on emptying his net while destroying nations without mercy? Basically, what Habakkuk says is, what? Wow, God, you aren't serious. You're not going to use the Babylonians to discipline Judah. That doesn't make any sense. They're worse than we are. And he gives complaint number two here. That can't be right, God. Surely you're not doing this. So he gives complaint two. All right, I'm holding this up so you get complaint two. Drops it into the suggestion box. And here's what he was basically saying. The problem of a God solution that doesn't make sense. He said, this is my complaint. This is a God solution that doesn't seem to make sense to me. It doesn't make sense what you're doing, God. That's his complaint. In Habakkuk's situation, it was God's plan to use the Babylonians to discipline Judah. He said, ah, it doesn't make sense. I, 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 Habakkuk was saying, I know there's a people uh, problem here, God. I know there's a problem going on with Judah. I know that they're, they're ungodly, but really? Are you going to take this treacherous people? I mean, you're everlasting. You're forever, God. You know all things. Why would you use the treacherous to discipline the ones that are more godly? And God answers them again in Habakkuk 2. He gives an answer. I'm going to just summarize this really fast. There's not a lot of uh, space between these listings here. Sorry, right fast. All right, I'm warning you here. But here's God's summary of his answer to the second complaint of Habakkuk. It, um, in, in, in five Babylonian sin that God saw, one was he did see their greed. He says, I see their greed and I see their aggressions. Greed and aggression kind of go together. I see that, God said. Second, he said, I see their exploitation. I see their extortion. I see these things. God, God was aware. He, he, this wasn't catching him unaware. Amen. God saw the violence of this people, this Babylonian people. He said, I see their violence. I see that. He went on to say, I see their immorality too. Habakkuk, I see this. And lastly, he said to Habakkuk, I see their idolatry. I know that they worship things that aren't God. I know they worship idols. I know all that. And, and basically, his answer to Habakkuk's complaint number two is summed up really well in chapter 2, verse 20 of Habakkuk, where God says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And you know what he's saying there? Be quiet, Habakkuk. Stop it. Stop complaining to me. Be silent. Understand, I have things under control. I see the sins of the Babylonians. I see the sins of Judah. I have it all under control. Quit trying to figure it out. Be quiet and trust me. Amen? 
That's what he's saying. If you don't want to be so polite, basically God says, shut up and trust me. Stop complaining and trust me. Embrace and cling to me and trust me. You see, beloved, at some point in our lives, we're going, we're going through some things, and we got to just get quiet before God, amen? And we just got to quit complaining, and we got to quit trying to figure out the things of God that only he can figure out, and we just got to trust him. At some point in our lives, God's going to bring us to that place where we quit complaining, we quit trust, uh, questioning God, and we, get, we trust him, and, and, and Habakkuk gets brought to that place, and then we see in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, faith triumphant. Not faith troubled anymore, but faith triumphant now. And he gets to this conclusion, the prophet gets to this conclusion. When all is said and done, you must embrace and cling to God and trust him. I've been saying that over and over again. I want you to get that point. When all is said and done, you got to embrace and cling to God and trust him. Amen? Amen? Habakkuk's now done questioning God, and in chapter 3 is a cool chapter. He, he chooses now uh, uh, to, to praise God. Let me give it to you in a point. Habakkuk concludes his oracle with God with a psalm of praise, basically, for the person and the power and the plan of God. He just praises God for the person who he is, for the power that he has, and for the plan that he's implementing. So let me read some of chapter 3 to you, and then I want to get to the important part. And so just hang in there with me this morning, because I want to bring this to a moment of, of just where you have to, have to embrace the moment, okay? But listen to this. Habakkuk 3 begins this way. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, and then it goes on to say a word that's hard to pronounce. All that means is a word they don't know how to translate. It just means singing poetry-wise. It's kind of scripture or whatever, so don't worry about that. You'll see it one other time in the Bible, in the Psalms. That's all it means. Um, and it goes on and says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then after that, he just goes over the power of God. As God is in all these things, he just recounts them. It goes from one to another, to another, to another, to another. And then as we get to the end, uh, uh, towards the end of chapter 3, we get to verse 16, to the second half of verse 16. He said, yet I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on, the nation evading us. So basically, what happens here is the prophet says, I praise you for who you are, God, and for your power exhibited in times gone by, and I trust your plan for the future. That's where he got. I love how chapter 3 begins. It's some of my favorite scripture. I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. We should be praying that as Jesus followers. We should be praying constantly, God, I... I've heard of your fame. I've heard of all the miracles that you've done, Jesus. I've read about them constantly and over and over again in the New Testament. I've seen your power exhibited. I've seen the person you are, Jesus, that you're God incarnate, that you've come in the flesh. And we know that no grave could contain you, that the, that the, that your, the power in you overcame death and the grave. I've heard of your fame. Do things in our time that you've done in the past. Amen? Why wouldn't we pray like that? 
That's one of the big lessons of the book of Habakkuk is that God will do things in our time that he's done in former times. That he has a plan that's unfolding, amen? That we too who love Jesus, even though we go to the grave, we too will experience the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will raise us from the dead too. And so we ought to be people who pray, I call it the prayer of Habakkuk. We ought to be praying, God, do in our day the things you've done in the past. Show your strength and show your power. Show your fame and show people who you are, God. And we ought to believe that God, who never changes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, will do in our day what he's done in days gone by. Amen? I love this scripture. It's great scripture. And then he gets to some profound truth at the end of chapter 3. And I want us to read this out loud together. It's verse 17. Uh, through 19, the beginning part of 19. I want us to read this just out loud together as a declaration. Read it with me, would you? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, he enables me to tread on the heights. We'll stop there. Here's our takeaway today. I want you to write this down. Complete trust. Complete trust is the appropriate response no matter what is going on in your life. Complete trust is the appropriate response no matter what is going on in your life. So today, some of us are facing difficult marriages. Some of us are facing some challenges with our children. Perhaps you're in college and you're supposed to figure the rest of your life out. That's a challenge. Perhaps, you know, you've got some other issues going on health-wise or maybe you suffer from some anxiety or depression or perhaps, you know what, you just, uh, you just get up every day and it's like drudgery and you're bored and, you know, life is just difficult. You know, there has to become a point in your life, a moment in your life where you go, God, I'm done with the complaints. I choose to embrace you and cling to you completely. I'm going to be quiet before your presence. I'm going to completely trust that you're in control and that you're sovereign over the affairs of my life, and I trust my life in your hands completely. And this thing that I'm facing is another means for you to have sovereignty, control over my life. Amen? And I give it to you. We have to get to that place. That's the storyline of the prophet Habakkuk. That's what he's telling us. And you know what I found myself doing more and more? Um, I try not to be too silly. Poor Vicky. <laughs> try not to look at you while I say this kind of stuff. But um, now you all know where she's sitting, don't you? <laughs> anyway, I'm so thankful for days. I get to the end of the day and I think, well, it was a good day. It was a good day today. And God's good and it just was a good day. Do you ever do that? I, I think we need to begin to have a gratefulness that supersedes what we're going through. And we need to get to the end of days and we need to say at moments to one another, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to live. God's good, amen? And I'm clinging and embracing God, and I'm completely trusting him. Even though 
my life may not be that great. Some things are out of order. I may be suffering a little bit. I may be going through some things. It's a good day. And have this thankfulness that prevails and this dependency on God that supersedes whatever we're going through. If we get to that place, Habakkuk's book has done its intended work in our lives. Amen? Because he questioned God for a couple chapters. He got to the end and he just praised God for his person and his power and his plan. And at some point in our lives, we just have to really mean that and get to that place. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? And then we got a great song to close with this morning. Lord God, I want to thank you for the message of the book of Habakkuk. It's, it's meaningful, Lord. It's timeless. It's applicable to us today as well as it was in the days that he penned it, Lord. And I want to pray for us as, as your people, Lord God, to be ones who understand that uh, it's okay to sometimes question you, God, and sometimes wonder aloud what's going on. And, but we have to be willing to accept the answer that you give us, Lord. And sometimes the answer that you give us simply is, trust me, you're never going to really understand this. Yeah, and I think Habakkuk got to that place, you know, where he just didn't understand your ways, Lord, that why you use the Babylonians to judge Judah. And, and, but he ended up saying, okay, God, I will still myself before you. Let all the earth be still before you. And I will trust in you, God. And he just praised you from his heart, Lord, for your person, for your power, and for your plan. God, and I pray that we as your people who have Jesus as our Savior and have all the illumination of the person, the Holy Spirit living within us, that we would be ones who understand we're not going to get it all, Lord. You're God, we're not. You're all-powerful, we're not. You're all-knowing, we're not. You're all-present, we're surely all-not that. And God, I pray that we would just rest in your sovereignty, in your sufficiency, and in your control. And I pray that you would grace us with peace and dependency upon you. And that, Lord, we would get to the end of a day and say, it's been a good day. I'm thankful, God, that you're who you say you are and that you're fulfilling the plans that you've made. And that all things are coming under your control, Jesus, day by day. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of us, Christ. And you're going to reign forever and ever and ever, Lord. And we rest in that today. And we trust you, God. So I pray for whoever is going through something today, that today would be that moment, that time, that point, where they just say, I trust in you completely, God. I just give this to you. And truly mean it, Jesus. We love you and praise you. And all God's people said,